0: I want to draw some uh, kind of an outline picture through much of the book of Numbers today. And uh, it's one of those books I enjoy. Um, Leviticus, not so much. But, you know, I speed read Leviticus and parts of Numbers. But there are facets of Numbers that that, uh, I look at and just get amazed at. One of the things that... uh, is a part of this picture is that the children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt. They're being developed into a community. And if you read the New Testament, there are times allusions to this trek through the wilderness because there are principles laid down of how God treats His people and how He works with them that apply in the New Testament as well. And so if we can learn the lessons from the old... Uh, we're better off. Now, one of the things that you need to note is that, um, or I'd like to at least look at today, is that, you know, at times there's a lot of discussion of why get together in groups at all? If we all have the presence of God on our lives, why do we even have to bother with that? Why not just do it at home? You know, or just, you know, I'll go up on the mountain and hear from God, you know, and there is a measure of truth to that. But God chooses not to let that be the sole source of our relationship development with Him. And in fact, the question comes out is, if the presence of God is encountered in other settings, particularly with other people, why would we avoid such a thing? And there were times when, for me too as well, where I'd be looking and going, well, God can meet with our church as well as any other. Why would I want to go check somewhere else out? And yet, if there's a sense of the presence of God in a place, why wouldn't you? You know, to go explore and just say, you know, I can supplement, <laughs> you know, I need, to, I need to find out wherever I can hear from God and, and, and participate in that. The other side of this I want to bring out is that in leadership, um, oftentimes, you know, we, we walk through this thing of, well, how did you get that position or that, you know, and when we look at the life of Moses, we recognize that he was called by God. And then, well, how did he get established? Well, he was established by God. Well, how did he? You know, what how, what right did he have to this authority? Well, it it was established by God as well. You know, there there wasn't there wasn't the thing of him pushing himself up or having to in a sense, say, you know, holler louder than anyone else so that they'd listen. But there were there are things of God within his life that were powerful. And so I just want to walk through some of those this morning. There is a system established to develop this people. And, and you know, in chapters 1 and 2, you have the census taken of how many uh, Warriors are available, and it's about 600,000, so you figure that that's a group of somewhere between two and four million people. Uh, You can imagine the logistics of trying to move a group like that would be significant. Uh, It's hard enough moving 10 people, but to, to move millions who have not functioned together particularly well before that? or have not had an identity as a people. So they, they d- developed this census, and then there's this allotment of positioning in regard to the tribes, so where each tribe is going to camp, and so they'd have a banner up. And so at very minimum, they could look and say, oh, that's, that's, our, that's our group, you know, and they would settle into these places. But when you get to the ninth chapter, there's a description of the cloud that was guiding them. The presence of God was seen in a cloud. And so during the day, there'd be this cloud. At night, it'd be this pillar of fire. And when it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. And it would reside over this tabernacle that they held. And, you know, it was one of those things of, you know, if you want to identify the presence of God, it was there. And they're going, this is, this is what draws us together. This is the, the center point, so to speak. And, and that needs in a sense, be continued in our lives as well, right? It should be the presence of God that draws us together. It's really nothing else that, that we have to offer. As good looking as all of you are, that's not the key to this thing. Okay? We're hoping that to have the presence of God with us each time we gather. And that we will have these encounters and, and and the wonder of what takes place when we encounter Him. That said, it gets a little more specific, and God tells them, I want you to hammer out some silver trumpets. And so when it gets time to move, blow these trumpets. In case people aren't watching and are not really aware of what's going on, they'll at least hear this thing. And so they they have that. And it's a call when they're to gather together. And and when they're going into battle, they blow these trumpets. And so, again, it gets a little more defined. And then later in in the same section, you have Moses going, okay, we've got the cloud. You know, it's guiding us. We have the trumpets that tell us to go. But he he goes to his father-in-law, and he says, I need your eyes. You know where to camp in the desert. You know how to to pick the position, you, you, you have a gift here. And he says, we'll reward you, but you, I, I need you for the specifics. And so, you know, in a sense, you have this general sense of the presence of God, you have these trumpets of a call to order and action, but also you have specific giftings coming out that are being used to identify this is exactly how it ought to be set up. But what that says to me is that God didn't just say, you know what, I'm giving everybody manna, that you can all travel together, just do it. But rather there's an order and a system that is incorporated into this group. And, and I want to suggest to you that order and system, even in charismatic groups, are not profane things but rather there's an order that he calls us to in a way that he establishes things that are appropriate. And and so if you are wrestling through that thing of, well, we all have the Spirit of God, why should anybody say anything or, you know, give direction? Except that this is a pattern through Scripture. And if God has ordered that in other lives, it's not that, you know, unusual for us to think that he would develop similar things in us as well. So that said, each time when they got up to go, Moses would give this prayer. He says, God, may our enemies be scattered. May the enemies of the Lord just be driven away. And when they'd stop, he'd say, may you reside with your people. You know, may you, may you uh, let's see, I'll, I'll mess it up, but. Stay close to Israel's thousands and thousands of people. Depending which translation you read comes out a little different with each one. Okay, that said, you would think, oh, well, it's all settled, you know. They have system, they have movement. It's all going to work great. Next chapter. Um, They start complaining about the troubles. They're, you know, it's just... You know, we're in a desert. And even though they have manna, they start saying, we don't have meat. We really would like some meat. And it just gets more and more intense. And there's kind of this thing of the presence of God is right there. It's powerful, but there's still a a looking and going, you know, I'm I, not happy. Just not happy. And uh, fire breaks out. And and people beg Moses, pray to God you know, that this thing stop. And it does. But then uh, Moses makes this prayer. He says, why are you doing this to me? What have I done to deserve this? You made me responsible for these people they're not my children. You told me to nurse them along and carry them to the land you promised there are answers. They keep whining for me, but where am I going to get it? So, even in the complaining, Moses kind of gets caught up and he goes to God and says, I don't like this job. You know, it's, it's amazing to me how, you know, he, he has this unusual birth. You know, where his life is spared, he's brought up in Pharaoh's household, so he sees leadership and authority and, and directives. And if you read Josephus, you, you read that, that uh, Moses was a military commander at one point. But at 40, he tries to accomplish God's goals for his life, and he ends up murdering a man and running off for 40 years. So at the prime of life, in trying to do and fulfill the vision and the dream but in his own strength, it does not work. And so he's off, and and so the next portion of his life is lived in obscurity. And then finally, when he's given up and doesn't believe that anything could happen, and that was a false dream, and I must have got it wrong, then God comes back to him through the burning bush, and, and Moses is full of excuses going, I don't speak well. I can't get these things done. Who's gonna go with me? And he walks that through it, and God brings it about, sends Aaron to work with him, and, and and you know, it gets done. We know that. So he's used powerfully, but now he's in this situation, he's got all these people out in the wilderness, and he's going. Uh, this is just too much. Yeah, it's a fulfillment of the dream. Yeah, you called me to this. But he is not going to be able to argue his way out of this thing. He is not going to be able to point out different ones and say, you got the gift, go do. We can make this happen. He's not going to be able to inspire them. God has to establish this, man, if it's going to happen. He says, it's too much for me. And the Lord says, okay, I'm going to take from the Spirit that's on you, and I'm going to put it on 70 elders. And they're going to help carry this load. Which is amazing. It's an amazing picture of this Spirit being poured out on all people. There's, there's several things that it, it intrigue me with this passage, because um, the longing in Moses' heart when when he's challenged about it, he says, I wish that everybody had this. And it's almost like a precursor of the availability for the for the New Testament. In fact, it, what it even amazes me more is that two of the guys don't show up for the meeting, but the, they start prophesying as well. So the Spirit of God is is dwelling on them as well, even though they don't follow the rules like they're supposed to. It's almost like the Gentile picture, uh, you know, being brought in, none of the, the rules set, none of the, the training, but still participating in the presence of God. That said, I know I was chasing a rabbit, but it's kind of a cool one. Um, the Spirit comes on these men, and they prophesy, and, you know, they, they walk through that, and you're going, okay, now it's going to work. It's got to. I mean, God's presence is on other leaders, and it's, you know, it's all in place. And so the next chapter, the next chapter, <laughs> not, not six chapters away, but the very next one, you have a challenge to his authority by, out of his own family. Aaron and Miriam are going, who are you? You married that woman? And, you, you know, and they start complaining. Now, both of them have been used powerfully, right? And it doesn't say Miriam specifically when Moses is, is given to Pharaoh's daughter, but it, the impression that you have in the listings of names is that Miriam was the one that was watching the baby. And then later, when they cross the Red Sea, she's the one that leads the women in dance and song and a, a great time of praise. And Aaron, he's, he's doing the priesthood work. And so, I mean, both of them have been used mightily. But they kind of get a, a burr, you know, just going, what right does he to have to tell us what to do? We're used by God mightily. And... Who settles it? Is it just fight back and forth? No. Again, God comes through and, and addresses his situation and he rebukes them powerfully. He just says, "Who else speaks to God face to face? Who else hears as clearly as Moses? And he rebukes them and and you know it, it gets... Squared away, and Moses prays for their healing. But, you know, you look at that and you go, they saw another's gift, and rather than acknowledge that God was using them powerfully, they started to crave what someone else had. And what I want to point out to you is that it's the most beautiful thing, but it's also a, a defining thing because God is the one who gives us calls to whatever we do. God is the one who directs us into activity. And so we can't look at somebody else's gifting and go, I want that. We can't look at at another and just go, you know what? I think I could do that job better, and I know I could. And that's not the real option in the Lord. What is significant is that God establishes us in each of our settings, in each of our places. And so the challenge in our lives is, what is God saying to me? Right? It's not a looking around saying, well, I think I like that one. But it's more a, a saying, what are you speaking of my life? And You know, if God called Moses, surely he will call the rest of us. If he called Miriam and Aaron, he will call others as well. If he called the 70 elders, if he called... It's it's this recognition that God has a a ministry for each of us. And we don't pull that out by saying, well, that looks good. But it, it starts with him. And then even in a story like this it is established by him and it's defended by him. And so even if, if you run into a situation and, and there's a, a, you know, somebody saying, well, you don't do your job in the Lord very well. And I don't like the way that this is going. Is it up to you to out-argue that person? Or is it up to you to let God defend you? It's quite a challenge, no matter because all of us in different settings, there are times when who covers your back? Ultimately, it's the Lord. And you can waste a whole lot of energy running around trying to put out fires and trying to make everybody happy and trying to keep peace. When the truth is, ultimately, if God doesn't protect you, you aren't protected. But if you are protected by him, you can have a confidence that he is going to see you through whatever you encounter. So he takes on this issue with with Aaron and Miriam, the family situation, and he just goes, that's the one I chose. There are times when jealousy rises in our hearts and we look at what someone else is doing and we're going, why not me? The only place to answer that truly is in the Lord. And he might say, I have more than that for you. Or he might say, I want you to be happy here. But you don't know until you ask. And you won't establish yourself on your own without his presence and power. So um, it goes on. And it it stays complicated. They send spies out into the land. God tells them to send the spies out. Spies come back. Ten of the twelve have a bad report. The people get all upset. And, you know, they're threatening to stone Moses. Uh, Because he brought him that far out. And so, you know, again, this isn't the most pleasant situation for him. Um, Aaron's in on it, this one too, so, you know, that's special. (laughs) But, you know, again, how's this going to get settled? And uh, God, you know, sends a plague and and they pray and, and it gets straightened out. But then, and then there's the declaration, you know, that those 10 are going to die by a disease, that those who are 20 and older are not going to go into Canaan, that for the next 40 years, they're going to wander around in the wilderness. So there's, there are some real tragedy out of this decision, this poor decision. So where do the people go? Oh, that's awful. Let's go in and fight now. And so, again, it's like too little, too late. You've already missed the window. And so without God's guidance or help or care, they try to do it on their own. They get whipped. I guess, you know, in looking at that, you're going, I wonder how often in life I have this window of opportunity in the Lord. I'm going, well, I'll get it next week. Or, you know... I don't think that'll work. And then later you're going, oh man, I need to go back and revisit this. Well, Really, it it needs to go back and revisit what the Lord has now. You know, because you may get that second opportunity, but you may not. But there's still a necessity of of looking at it and saying, okay, I functioned rebellion here. I functioned in unbelief. I doubted that God really wanted or could get this done. But now now that I recognize that this was a bad choice, what does he want now? Rather than being presumptuous and saying, I'll just get it done. This is not about trying harder. That's one of the things that comes out of this book. This isn't about doing it on your own strength. This is about being led by the power of God and accomplishing exploits for his kingdom through him. So it's too little, too late, and there was trouble. Well, that lasts good till the 16th chapter. We were in 14, now we're in 16, and Korah rises up and it's, there's a rebellion, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and 250 of the community leaders. So this is a significant challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I look at it and I'm going, okay, Korah is one of the Levites from the, tribe of, or from the section of Kohath, so he really was pretty close in family relationship to Moses, and he was, his group was responsible for hauling the Ark of the Covenant and the sacred articles of the tabernacle. And so they really had the most prestigious job of any of the groups. And at some point, it appears that he's going, What right do they have to tell us what to do? You know, we're the, why do we have to do all the carrying of stuff? It's intriguing to me that he's tied with a couple Reubenites. Remember the Reubenites? Reuben was the firstborn. Through sin, he lost that position. That tribe could have been going, we should be the ones leading this thing. But even in that, the, the Kohathites, that group of Levites, in camping were right next to the Reubenites. And it's my guess that there was some chatter going on. And it's like, like, he just doesn't know what he's doing. And out of that comes this rebellion. And they're going, all of us have the presence of God on us. You know, we've all watched that cloud for years. How much brilliance does it take to say it's moving? You know. But you know to to look at that and just say god's spirit's on his people we are the people of god we have the right as much as anyone else to call the shots in this and then <laughs> what happens you know they they have this confrontation so to speak where they're all going to offer incense unto the lord and and uh Fire comes out and consumes the 250, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a brutal thing. And it's established who truly is responsible to lead this group in that moment. And then, in earth, Moses says, If this is natural, then you know it's me. But if it's unnatural, and the earth opens up and swallows these families you know that God was speaking, and that's exactly what happens. And and so, you know, they they walk through these things as a community. And I'm reading this, and, you know, I, I guess it's intriguing because as a leader, you're always looking for leadership insights. But also, as a people who are used to each of us hearing from the Lord there's a, why do we even need to be together? Why not just, you know, function? And yet, if order and system are a part of that, and it's a part of the New Testament church, and they mirror it off of things like this, you're going, God chose these paths. And when it comes to our dreams in Him, We can look at a life of Moses and go, that guy did a lot of things wrong, but there was still this anointing and use by God in a way that was amazing. So if God has given me a dream, then I have the right to hang on to that. Now the truth is, most of us have a lot of self-dreams as well, right? I mean... I was talking with a friend this week, he's been in a, a church 10 years, and he's at a stage of life where he's starting to sort out what were his dreams and what were God's dreams over him. You know, where he's, he's recognizing this will never happen in this location, so is this dream from God and is this dream something that eventually I'll be moving on? Or was this just one of the dreams I had in my youth that that you know, I saw what could be and what, you know, what I thought would be great, and, and so I, I clung to that, and he's, he's just saying, I'm having to look at that all over again. And that's a, that's a valuable process. But it's, you know, we can look at Moses and go, that thing even died. The dream died. But when God said it was time, he brought it back in a way that Moses couldn't have. And if he has truly established a dream in your heart, it really doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't really matter whether you have the support of the whole group or not. What's essential is, that, did God speak it? Because he will establish it. I, I wrote down some questions when I was walking through this, did God provide for everyone? Absolutely. They were out there. They were, they were all getting manna, right? He, he 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 gave whatever they needed in a desert. So provision is not the issue. Um, did God choose individual autonomy or the group for development? Well, we we would say that he chose the group, right? That as much as individual autonomy is a big deal in our culture, there is place for the group in God's economy. And I want to suggest to you there are experiences that you will have in the Lord that you will find no other place than when you're with a body of believers. When Jesus is saying wherever two or more are... Gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. What's he saying? He says, there is, a, there is a sense of the presence of God in a way that you will not accomplish on your own. Now, I pray for you to have individual experiences with him. But I want you to know that you will not round out your wholeness in Christ by yourself. Did God bring order to the group? Well, obviously he did. Did God gift individuals to lead the group? Well, he did that too. Did that mean that there would be conflict-free travel? Not at all. We're all human. And so, you know, it's like putting a batch of cats in a bag. I mean, (laughs) we can make it miserable on everyone and do at times. Uh, That's our gifting too, I guess. (laughs) But, you know, when I look at that, it, it, those are very simple, basic questions. But then I, I bring that back and I say, okay, God, open my eyes to the, to the wonder of what you have for me in community. And let me embrace what you embrace. And then in regard to Moses, three simple questions. How did Moses get his place? Well, he was called by God, Right. How do you get your place in the kingdom, and how do you get your position, so to speak? Well, it comes through call, where God establishes what he wants you to do. For some, that, you know, mentions early on with the kids, Lord speaking to her heart of saying, is it enough for you to raise these kids godly? it was It was a brutal choice for her at that moment she She had a degree in missions she loves teaching, but for a window of time, it was do this and yet it became a very wholesome thing for her, but she didn't see that in the upfront portion of that. Um, each of us has encounters like that that was just an illustration, right but you know. The call is established by God, or the call is placed by God. The establishment of that call is God-engendered as well. You you will not get it done in your own strength. If you do, it, it does not have the stamp of the fullness of all that God has. But the beauty of what's available is that what gets done goes way beyond your abilities. There are times when you can feel so empty and so ill-prepared for what's ahead that you're just going, like Moses, why? Why am I in this place? Why am I in this position? And God speaks, and He does what we can't. And then finally, did Moses how did Moses defend his right of authority, so to speak, for the role that was his? And we'd have to say that he was defended by God. And that has to be locked into our thinking because we tend to get our feelings hurt and we tend to fight back and we want to lash out or destroy opposition or just, you know, negate And really, ultimately, it's up to the Lord to establish and defend. And our lives are lived at a much healthier level if we're not all the time living to protect ourselves or living to defend or living to push aside so that we can... There's a health in being able to release it in the Lord. It's one of the most beautiful lessons you can ever get in the Lord to be able to trust Him to take care of you that way. Because you aren't spending all your energy in defense. You put your energy into valuable reaching out, so to speak, and allow the Lord to cover the bases. I thank you for this scripture, Lord, as we race through this book. But I I ask that you make it alive to our hearts. Make it alive to us in regard to community. Make it alive to us in regard to giftings. Amen. When it comes to of leadership, moms, you're leading your kids; husbands, leading your families; employers, you're leading your employees. You know, there are, most of us encounter those things at some level, and obviously, all of us, whether following, at times, all of us follow others, and at times, we're responsible for others. I wish, as a pastor, I could, uh, in some ways, share how often I get plagued by insecurities. Because, in a sense, I'm I'm the face, so to speak, right, on Sundays. And you know, it, it's not about showing weakness when you're up front. That's just not the position, so to speak. But inside, there's all these challenges and even the accuser at times saying, What right do you have to say anything? And yet in the Lord there is this privilege, so to speak, of trusting Him and then seeing things happen beyond yourself and you're kind of, Oh, what you know? But it's it's the beauty of when you put yourself out to do what you're called to do that you see his hand in such a way that you're going, you're good, you're faithful, you've done it again. And there's this joy of just seeing him. And and so in that, I just encourage you, take the step of faith that says, in the Lord, I can get this done. And then as as we looked at just the, the, the necessity of community, Look around you and appreciate again what God has brought you into, the people he's allowed you to be with. And all of us imperfect and yet brought together by God and the central drawing point is him, not us. And For that, we we give him praise and thanks because over and over again he meets with us. What a privilege that is. I want to pray for God's blessing on you. What remains is open-ended worship. There is a meal downstairs. It's awesome. I encourage you to participate. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy the order and system that you bring to them. May they discover also how you will lead and direct and guide. I ask, Lord, as each one goes into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll help them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Enable them to do the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.